Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. The Father, the Son, one God, I mean. Before we start this morning, I want to tell you about uh, uh, this professor who... Um, used to have a lot of people show up at his lectures because they didn't like what he was saying. So they used to show up and make noise and cause you know, ruckus and interrupt and all that stuff. So what he decided to do was that um, he figured out um, how to get rid of most of you know, the people who come and cause uh, interruptions. And what he did was he held his lectures early in the morning. When he had his lectures early in the morning, 90% of the people who used to come and cause interruptions stopped coming, simply by doing it early. Because he figured that doing it early excludes anyone who is just coming to hang out. Only serious people come early. Only serious people come early. Let's say one more time. Only serious people come early. And I know we're all serious, and God bless you, and I know there are so many challenges, and God bless you, and God love you, you're doing an amazing job, keep doing it. There was a, a sermon in the 4th century by St. John Chrysostom, saying, with, entitled, No one can harm the man who does not harm himself. No one can harm the man who does not harm himself. Now when you uh, look around today, you hear a lot of things about families and a family unit and a family unit being under attack and all of this stuff happening and school curriculums and things happening and people saying things and and all sorts of craziness but if you if you read this uh this sermon which is available for free online you can read it and you'll see that it applies just as equally to families as it does to individuals no one can harm the family that does not harm itself. No one can harm the family. What does that mean? If you look at our lives today, they're very fractionalized, disintegrated. We're in different places at different times. We're hardly together, and even when we're together, we're not really together. We're pulled apart by so many things, and you know the devices, the technology is not helping with that. In fact, it's making lives more disintegrated. You can be together, you know, at the family table, but worlds apart. Lives full of activities, fun, events, all sorts of things. Um, even if you, if you look at our gathering today, the liturgy today, our synaxis, this is really probably the only one time in the week where this combination of people, where us, we come together, the rest of the week we're all in our own different worlds. It wasn't always this way. It used to be, you know, one town, one church, one city, one church kind of thing. And then this is your church, this is your family, this is the, the group of people that you do everything with. You rejoice with, you mourn with, this is your church, right? But when things became um, easier to build more churches, and sometimes necessary also, arguably, to build more churches, unfortunately also... The flip side of that meant that we now have more choice. 
So I can go to the first liturgy, I can go to the second liturgy, I can go to this church, I can go to that church. Most of us pass several churches on the way to church, right? And all of this makes it less likely that we're going to be more integrated and more likely to be more disintegrated, more fractionalized. And this disintegration isn't just in how we live our lives, but even extends in how we see God, how we see each other, of course, how we see God and how we see the world. And if there's any threat to the family, it's disintegration. Don't believe anyone who tells you the threat is from outside. It's from within the family. If the family is disintegrated, it's easy, easy for it to fall apart. No one can harm the man who does not harm himself. In a book called Everywhere Present, Father Stephen Freeman describes our lives as a sort of universe, a universe that has two stories. We live here on earth, he says, the first floor, where things are simply things. And everything operates according to normal, natural laws, where while God lives upstairs, on, in the second floor, in heaven, and is largely removed from the story, from the level where, in which we live. To, to affect anything here, to do anything here, for God to do anything on the first floor, he must interrupt the laws of nature and perform a miracle. This is kind of the, the vision or the view of this. Exactly how often he does this is a matter of debate among Christians. And the effect of the distance, the distance between the first floor and the second floor, affects everything we do in our lives. And the more we think about it, the more we see evidence that this distance exists between daily life and God. And the more this distance exists, the more it grows, the more disintegrated we become. And I'll explain how. There's actually, a, um, in another book, there's an interesting story about this two-story living. Uh, it's a book called uh, How Not to Be Secular. James Smith. He says, imagine you move to a, a city or a town where you're coming from a very strong church and you're moving to this town and there's no church in this town and you're there and you want to start a church, you want to talk to people about God and... You've left essentially Jerusalem and you're on your way to Babylon. So you, you came to Babylon with what you thought are all the answers to the unanswered questions these secular people had. But it didn't take long for you to realize that the questions weren't just unanswered, they were unasked. They weren't questions at all. You're the, the neighbors aren't looking for answers for just some bit of information. Right? To the contrary, they're perfectly comfortable living in that one story, not thinking that there's anything else, almost making sense of everything, and everything hangs on that almost, right? There doesn't seem to be anything missing from their lives. So you, can just, you can't just come in proclaiming the good news of a Jesus who's going to fill their God-shaped hole. There doesn't seem to be any sense that the secular lives they've constructed are missing anything. So you thought you were moving to a world like yours, just minus God. But in fact, you're moved to an entirely different world where there is a distance between the first floor and the second. Many of us, when we immigrated, 
we thought we're immigrating to a Christian world, Christian country, where you know Christianity flows on the streets. Everywhere you go, Christianity is as far as the eye can see. But when we move here, especially in Canada, what we find is that, no, in fact, this is not what we thought it was. And it's, uh, it's very multicultural. And it's, uh, people are, everyone in, in their own way, essentially um, free to believe what they want. And that gives us also the freedom to believe in what we want. Don't get me wrong. Like we say, we don't uh, religious freedom for others. That means no religious freedom for ourselves. So it's great. We, we come here. We're free to practice our faith and our religion. But we find that the dominant religion isn't what we thought. Like it's not, you know, the Christian West, the idea that we thought, right? And we come in here and we find that it's not just that Christianity isn't the dominant religion. But the way of thinking, the way of living here is very fractionalized, very disengaged, very, not disengaged, disintegrated. Everyone in their own little world, even within the family, people are doing their own thing. And you can be with your group of friends from school, group of friends from work, you know, group of friends from church. And in these three groups, everybody's doing their own thing and living their own lives. And things are just so disintegrated, so fractionalized. And the more things become fractionalized, the more we realize that, wait a minute, have we become, have we become fractionalized? Have we become disintegrated ourselves? In that book, How Not to Be Secular, the author asks questions like, what does it look like to bear witness in a world like this? What does it look like to be faithful in a world like this? But more importantly, he asks the question, to what extent have we absorbed the tendencies of this world? To what extent have we become disintegrated and fractionalized rather than whole? And he actually makes two predictions. He's saying in a world like this, where things are dis, uh, disintegrated and fractionalized and religion is always you know, blamed for the ills of society and all the problems in the world, this story is going to become less and less plausible over time. People are going to realize, you know what, even without religion, we can still get into trouble. We still make a lot of mistakes. We still cause a lot of problems. So it can't be religion, but perhaps it's something else. And the second prediction is that people are going to start getting sick and tired of saying no religion, no faith, no God. They're going to start to venture outside the boundaries that you know, the society, quote-unquote, is, is putting and venture and see like what else is there because the first story can't be all that there is. There must be more. And when, because when everything becomes confined to the first floor, it, becomes, it starts to become, become suffocating. It doesn't matter how many activities we are engaging in, how many events, how, um, how many you know, activities we take the kids to throughout the week. After a while, it's like, I'm tired. When am I going to rest? When are we ever going to sit together as a family and enjoy one another's company? Is it just about you know, driving to the kids to music, driving the kids to karate, driving the kids to soccer? There must be more to it than that. So the first floor tent is going to begin to collapse in on itself. 
Dostoevsky is famous for saying the quote, without God, everything is permitted. Without God, everything is permitted. And it's exactly in this kind of world where God is removed from the first floor that it seems like, you know what, there's no right, there's no wrong. It just whatever feels right, whatever fits. So everything is permitted. There's a, a Catholic theologian, G.K. Chesterton. He says, when a man ceases to believe in God, it is not so much that he believes in nothing as it is that he's willing to believe in anything. <clears throat> willing to believe in anything. And the reason he's willing to believe in anything is because he leads a life, a life that is fractionalized, disintegrated, broken up into pieces. There's no whole, there's no picture, there's no image, there's no icon, there's nothing. So he believes in all these little pieces, thinking that maybe if I have the right combination of pieces, the right type of pieces, my life will begin to make sense. If I, write, if I just have the right amount of pieces, my life will have meaning and significance. Not looking at all at that second floor. And in ways that people have never imagined or haven't considered or anticipated even, Taylor says that some will begin to wonder if renunciation isn't the way to wholeness. You turn on the TV, the radio, anything, you're bombarded with marketing, with advertising. It's all about getting you to buy more, getting you to consume more, getting you to want more. But people are beginning to think that perhaps it's not wanting more, perhaps it's not wanting more, perhaps it's renun re renouncing, renouncing this consumerist attitude, mindset that is the way to wholeness. More that we do, it's actually the less that we do, that we find ourselves becoming whole, complete, close. In his famous book, For the Life of the World, in an appendix, Father Alexander Schmemann talks about the secular world and secularism and describes it as the denial of worship, the opposite of worship. He's saying basically that we remove God from the picture and then we begin to offer a vision of the world that's God-free, that's God-less. You know, we often think of separation of church and state you know, as a, it, it means something like, um, often thought of as we don't want the church to influence the state. But actually, the, inter the funny thing is that when people propose this, it was the other way around. They're like, we don't want the state to have dominion over the church. We don't want the state to influence the church. But inadvertently, because of this, things began to deviate and, and, and go their separate way and disintegrate. And worship began almost to be separated from God. And now in a lot of places you see worship is becoming something about the relevance. And the worship of the relevance meaning becomes the irrelevance of worship. Worship becomes no longer about God. The liturgy isn't just something we do among other things that we do. It's the thing that defines everything, that gives meaning to everything else that we do. In the liturgy, we come to understand who we're meant to be. And in the liturgy, we come 
so that um, this understanding becomes fulfilled. Who we're called to be becomes a reality in the liturgy. In the liturgy. Father Alexander talks about the only fall, real, the only fall of man. The real fall of man wasn't about man no longer worshiping God, man no longer adoring God, man no longer contemplating God. <clears throat> the only real fall of man, he says, is his non-Eucharistic life in a non-Eucharistic world. Non-Eucharistic life in a non-Eucharistic world. We're created to be Eucharistic beings. We're created to be worshiping beings. When we remove that from the picture and we see ourselves as consuming beings, my only real measure becomes how much of the world I can own, how much I can take. Then the only deciding fact, the only criteria that helps me decide whether I should do or not do becomes raw power, whether I can get away with it. It's no longer about anything else but whether I can get away with it. And that becomes the criteria that people use to decide most things these days. The only real fall of man is his non-Eucharistic life in a non-Eucharistic world. The fall is not that he preferred world to God and distorted the balance between the spiritual and the material. The fall is that he made the world material. That we turn the world into something non-Eucharistic. We reoriented the world into something material, something that is focused in on itself, no longer giving glory to God. <clears throat> For the God who took flesh, Father Stephen says, and dwelt among us is surely the same God who continues to take common things like bread and wine, oil and water, men and women, and make them instruments of his presence, his presence among us. In a world where we're not confined to the first story, to the first level, he is indeed everywhere, present and fills all things. That is the only way to true wholeness, to true integration, or should I say reintegration, going from bits and pieces to whole human beings. I want to end with this story. I should have started with this story, but I guess I'm going to end with it. There was a missionary. I, someone sent me this video, so I'm going to share it with you. But I'm going to tell you about it. <clears throat> this is a bit long. Who just came back from China. So he was saying that China is considered to be the fastest growing church in the world, even though it's underground. It's not allowed, right? If you get caught in a church meeting, straight to prison. So he was saying, uh, telling the people about his experience there. So he was saying that when you go there, you don't meet for an hour or two. You meet all day. You sit and you talk about God all day, nine to five. And you don't sit in a nice air-conditioned church on nice, comfortable pews. You sit on the ground on hard wood with no air condition. Very hot, very humid. You don't take a nice, comfortable car to church. 13-hour train ride. And like I said, if anyone finds out you're here, straight to prison. You don't get to go back home. You get arrested, and you go to prison. So he's saying, after all this, 
I fell in love with these people. So he's saying, what can I do for you? So they told him, pray that we one day become like you, free to practice our faith, our religion, without fear of persecution, free to meet whenever we want in a beautiful church. So he said, when we, when we meet, and by the way, he brought some Bibles with him because they have no way of getting a Bible, so he had to sneak them in. And when he's giving out the Bibles, he, found that he, he noticed that not all took Bibles. He didn't have enough for the whole group anyways, but not all took Bibles. Some gave it away to others. And then he realized it's because the people who gave it away are people who have memorized whatever they were going to read. So how did they memorize? How did they? So he's saying, you want me to pray so that one day you'll become like us when we come to church and if, you know, if uh, the liturgy is a little bit too long, we get complaints. If we didn't have pews, if we were standing the whole time, which is, by the way, something very common in the Orthodox world. There are many churches where there are no pews, and we stand the whole time, or we sit on the ground. There are a few chairs. And when you go in the monasteries, a lot of monasteries are like that. Texas, in the um, uh, original church, Church of St. Moses is like that. The bigger church has pews. But not all churches have, you know, nice, comfortable pews. And um, he was saying there are at least, per person, on average, per person on average, here we have, what, five, six, 20 Bibles, right? We have so many Bibles, but we don't read them. And they have less than maybe one per hundred, and they have it memorized. I'm not going to pray, I'm not going to pray that you become like us. I'm going to pray what? That we become like you. When you see someone today, like St. John the Baptist, and you say, you know what? This is someone who lived a life, you know, greatest among those born of women. But really, can any of us do this? Can any of us leave everything and go out into the wilderness and just worship God? Can any of us leave all the glory that was being offered him and all the riches and all the invitations and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm here for a specific purpose. Can any of us really do that? Or do we always try to kind of find accommodation and find harmony, find this middle ground, the danger of this middle ground? I'm not saying we should be extremists, but I'm saying the danger of this middle ground is that it never is satisfied. It always wants more. Today you compromise. I'm, I'm only going to read, you know, the Bible once a week. I'm only going to go to church once a week. I'm only going to do this tomorrow. Okay, now we're going to reevaluate the compromise. And then maybe do a little bit less or do it a little bit differently. Do it maybe a little bit more comfortably. And the day after, well, guess what I'm going to do? I got used to compromise, right? So I'm going to recompromise and reevaluate the compromise and on and on and on. And one day I look in the mirror and I don't see a person. I see bits and pieces. I see memories of a person. And the only way to bring this person back, to reintegrate back, is in the liturgy. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart, and we pray that it will not only inform you, 
but will also transform you and your life with Christ.